Welcome to Fire Headlines, where we discuss the hottest fire news to hit within the last two weeks. I'm your host, Inanna Hankey, and today I am joined by the panel, Chief Bob Horton, Chief Jeff Buchanan, and we have a special guest with us here today, Dr. Kate Capolo. Bob, would you please introduce our guest today? What should our listeners know about Kate? Well, it's my pleasure, Anana, to introduce Kate, and thank you for joining us on the panel. Uh, Kate Capolo is the Senior Research Scientist and Assistant Director of the Western Fire Chiefs Applied Sciences Center. Uh, her PhD is in Modeling and Simulation from the University of Central Florida. Her research is on leveraging emerging technologies to support fire ground incident command more effectively in pre-incident planning and community risk reduction efforts. She's worked on a host of projects as it relates to augmented reality, artificial intelligence, and the firefighting space. She did a postdoctoral appointment at Brown University, where she was working with the National Institute of Standards and Technology, Public Safety Communications Research Division. She's a technical panel member on the National Fire Protection Association's Project on Immersive Learning for Firefighters and supports the International Association of Fire Safety Science, Human Behavior, in fire working group research efforts. And Anna Kate is going to have an amazing perspective as we have a topic related to artificial intelligence and firefighting. So Kate, thanks for joining us on the panel. So much for having me. I'm super excited. Yeah, we're excited to have you. Um, I know you're going to bring some great perspective to our discussion. So we should dive right in while we have you here. Our topic today, as Bob mentioned, is the role of artificial intelligence in the fire service. And we wanted to start this discussion with cardiac arrest. Approximately 40% of on-duty fatalities in firefighters come from sudden cardiac death. Researchers at the National Institute of Standards and Technology, otherwise known as NIST, and their colleagues have used a form of AI, known as machine learning, to accurately identify abnormal cardiac rhythms in firefighters. Researchers hope that this work will lead to a portable heart monitor that firefighters can wear that will catch early warning signs of heart trouble. Sudden cardiac death killed 36 firefighters on duty in 2022. And NIST researcher Chris Brown said that year after year, sudden cardiac events are by far the number one killer of firefighters. Cardiac events can also cause career ending injuries and long-term disabilities. I found it very interesting that the program itself had to be trained using firefighter-specific data in order pr to produce the results that had the highest accuracy. The patterns for what might lead to a cardiac event are different um, from what the program would look for in an average person. Uh, Jeff, I'm wondering how realistic is it to have a heart monitor assigned to most firefighters? Well, just from an expense alone, it's going to be it's it's going to be unrealistic, and that's going to be an obstacle. Kate, thank you so much for for being on the show with us. I I think you know Bob and I talk often, almost every episode, about this notion of behavior economics, and to me, this is an intersection there, where our innovations in technology, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and all this massive tech is leading us down a great path of solutions for firefighters, and and yet it's going to be interesting to see who's going to use it. The fact that they, they created this 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 technology is fantastic, and you know, is is it realistic? I'm I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure. Um, there's a there's a lot that exists today 
uh, rehab. So rehab is uh, firefighters go into a fire and if they are cycled out through their natural progression of work, they're only in for, let's say, 20 or 30 minutes and then they come out and then their vital signs are checked. They get hooked up to an EKG now. They, uh, they have a blood pressure taken. They drink fluids and it's very spotty across the country for who's using it. So would the integration of this technology help it? I, I hope so. I just want to say two more things before I, I you know, I tip it over to, to, to Kate and Bob to hear some of their perspectives on it. I, I loved how this, this introduced uh, the technology. I think it also, this article pointed out something that I don't think that many casual listeners really understand. And that is that firefighters uh, that die in the line of duty are not necessarily dying in a fire because they got they got burned. So I think that that's a good thing. Great safety gear. That means that they're taking, generally speaking, great precautions. They're highly trained. But yet, you know, we have this cardiac event. And then the other piece where firefighters lose their lives are actually out of traffic accidents. They lose, we lose a lot of firefighters every year to being out on the roads and, you know, some of the kind of safety things that go on there. But I love the fact that this article highlights sudden cardiac death as a biggest, according to the article, uh, loser of, of firefighters every year, because I think this is preventable. A lot of this is highly preventable. Let's use the technology and use some of the safety precautions that, that are there in order to, to save for more firefighters. But I will share with, with all of you that even for myself, I was, if you can believe it, I was intimidated to go into rehab because I didn't want to pop something weird on the EKG. I didn't want my blood pressure to be high. I didn't want my heart rate to be high because I wanted to stay in the fight. But, you know, I, I love this talk on, on artificial intelligence and, and, and Kate, with your, just your, your massive background in, in technology, where, where, do you, where do you see this heading for the benefits of firefighters? That's an excellent question. I appreciate your commentary on this because I think that you brought up some interesting pieces and I'll, I'll circle back on that. But um, I think for like the 10,000 foot view, if we're going to take that view and say like, where do we see this technology going? Um, so I've worked on a couple different projects in this space and I see wearables as being one of the areas of opportunity. So this study is really robust. I think it's a really excellent study. When we look at, you know, the work coming out of NIST, it's top notch. This is like the best research on the fire service. Um, so we we can trust that this has been done rigorously. I think when we, when we think through how this might look at an incident scene right now, we're kind of toying with the art of the possible, right? Because we, we have just entered an era where we've got all this data and it kind of goes back to the idea that, you know, we've traditionally had to manually sift through this. Now that we have computers advancing at ridiculous speeds, we've got technology, you know, hitting us from all directions, all angles. Um, but one of the things that really speaks to me in this is, okay, how do I get this information to the incident commander um, in a way that's actually usable? So if we're saying, you know, cardiac issues are a problem, like at what point during the incidents are we are we monitoring this? Is it real time throughout the entire thing? Like, how are we thinking through where this should be introduced and when? Um, so wearables present a really cool opportunity for this because they're more 
they're uh, more portable and less invasive, right? So the idea would be that we have these devices. Um, I don't know if it will be an Apple Watch or you know whatever specific vendor we're speaking to, but um, there are opportunities for us to integrate less intrusive technology, so to speak, that can still you know gather this data and support. And so I don't think we're too far off from this this happening yet. But kind of one of the things that I really liked that you brought up, Chief Buchanan, was the idea of adoption and the challenges surrounding knowing about your cardiac health like that is that is something that i think is one of the unique things that is unique to the fire service so when we think through these things and we're thinking about preventable health and and some of these challenges um it's a challenge because it, it goes back to the whole idea of, you know, like when we're getting scans, dealing with managing, you know, higher risk of cancer, higher risk of different health kind of challenges. And so we're recording all this data, but we have to be really careful that we're also integrating firefighters perspectives into building out these technologies, because if we're building these technologies and we're not incorporating that voice of the end user, then Ultimately, it isn't going to be adopted, and and that's where we get into some of the challenges that you mentioned. That you you know specifically felt individually that this is kind of hard to manage and hard to to deal with those feelings surrounding it. What I think of, and this is just because this has recently been applicable for me, is like the snapshot app when you get car insurance, where they're like, "We're going to take a snapshot of your driving, and that's going to affect your rate at the end of the day." So would firefighters want to have their health information on display, you know, whether it's for their benefit or not? Like, that's where my mind immediately went. And I think you bring up a really interesting, I want to dive a little bit further into this, Kate, where in your experience, what have these research institutions done in order to make sure that there is the potential for integration with the fire departments they're working with? Like, how do you bridge the gap between the science aspect where we have the technology and the tools and we're gathering data versus what is it going to take for this to be easily implemented into the department itself? Yeah, so I think I think we're still a ways off from making that that transition smoothly. And the reason I say that is all of these institutions work with fire departments. They research and do this work with subject matter experts. But, you know, Chief Horan and Chief Buchanan are perfect examples of, you know, practitioner scholars who they've been in the practice space. They're they're working in the academic space, too. And so it's it's great to have those perspectives to build those in, because I think it's hard to see sometimes from both angles where things are going. Um, I think one of the challenges, and this is something that, you know, I incorporate in my research and 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 try to think about is when you're when you're going into the 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 station or the department, you're entering a space that, you know, this is this is people's homes essentially. It's like they're home away from home. And so when we're introducing these new technologies and things that people feel a little bit um, of a certain way about, I think we have to be really careful how we frame things. And then also to the point about ethics, there's there's this, there's this whole conversation around um, technical debt and ethical debt, right? So when we create technologies, we've got this technical debt that happens um, and you can kind of think of it like, like you would uh, a tangible debt 
uh, when we when we make a software, we make a product, um, the way that we do things and the decisions we make all kind of accumulate and add up. And if we're if we're not doing it the right way the first time, we have to go back and rework it. So that's technical debt. But there's also an ethical debt piece of this too that's becoming more prevalent as we see AI technologies being adopted. And that's you know what data you train on matters. Um, so to Chief Buchanan's point, thinking about you know, the fire service is different from the general population in certain ways, and you're put under different types of stress conditions. So if you train a data set on the quote unquote general population, it's not going to show those anomalies like we would need to see in the fire service. So having that right training set is important. And then um, it also gets at some of the challenges with like accessibility of health. Certain populations are more predisposed to cardiac issues. So how do we manage, you know, monitoring this, but also thinking through ethically what is the right way to do this? Because I would, I wouldn't feel comfortable having a progressive level auto insurance kind of app uh, that that has all of my health information just laid out. And that how do I know that doesn't get sent to my chief? How are we being, we need to communicate transparently about what's happening with this data. And that's that ethical debt piece. And sorry, I kind of got long winded there, but I, I think it's really important that we consider this ethical debt piece because um, as we as we keep integrating AI, we keep throwing more information out there. It's not going to go away. It's not going to get better magically. We have to really be conscious of how we're, we're carrying out these studies. And obviously NIST has really high ethical standards. So it's not like, you know, this study is a concern, but I think when we think through some of the things where you're going into the department and you're collecting data with fire departments and it might not be as rigorous as an academic institution, we need to be sure we're still meeting those ethical guidelines and benchmarks to really help the fire service progress and move forward. I was just going to, you know, jump in here and I may have used this before in, you know, and in, in other times in my life, I actually, I know that I have, but there's a line in Jurassic Park where Jeff Goldblum is 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 talking and i may i may uh mess this quote up but it's something along the lines of we we just looked at to see if we could create dinosaurs but we didn't stop to see if we should and it, all of these intentions are are outstanding for firefighters how could you go wrong with detecting anomalies and and all for the health of a firefighter but to your just a excellent recap there, Kate, of this notion of ethical investments. You just don't know if firefighters are going to see it the same way. They, and, and, and rightfully so, I get it. They can look at it. Hey, are the executives going to look at this and say, I'm not fit for the job? Uh, Is my insurance, am I going to take a hit on my life insurance? Because all of a sudden now there's captured data that shows my uh, runs of, of V-fib, A-fib, A, you know, whatever, whatever that, certain uh, uh uh rhythm is and it's just you know it's it's a it's a fascinating discussion to to work through and i mean but i love where the technology is going it's just going to be you know and i i gotta gotta pitch this over to bob because i know bob loves to get in on this behavior economics where do you see this going bob where do you see this this technology meeting what people are actually going to do do you see there being any any friction there well first of all I don't think you've seen Oppenheimer yet because you went to a Jurassic Park quote uh, and there was a classic Oppenheimer quote in there, too, about whether or not we should be building the the atomic bomb or not. But anyway, I won't blow it for you. Go go out and see Oppenheimer. Oh, great, great discussions. And, and I want to take a different perspective on it. There's a couple of things uh, I may differ with Jeff a little bit on his initial 
assessment that cost may be a prohibitive factor for a technology like this and integration. I, I don't think at the end of the day, this is going to be a cost issue. And we're spending thousands of dollars, maybe uh, maybe not quite up to $10,000, but certainly about half of that in outfitting a firefighter with safety equipment as it is today. I think the additional cost of a watch of some sort that's able to integrate this technology uh, is going to be nominal and keeping a firefighter safe. I don't think that's the issue. I think the issue is going to be a willingness to wear it. And I think for some of the reasons that we've already already discussed uh, from a behavioral lens, we have this tendency, what's called the ostrich effect, which is we prefer as, as people to ignore negative information. We just don't want to know. I'm just big, you know, people don't want to get on the scale. They don't want to see what the scale has to say. Although I, my, my buddy, Jeff is a, is religious about, about this. And as, and as we're both, as we're both in the, the, midlife category, you know, I think a lot differently about health than I certainly did when I was in my in my 20s. Uh, but by and large, outside of Jeff, most people don't really, you know, they don't want to start finding out information that uh, that they otherwise uh, wouldn't know. They'd rather ignore it. And that's called the ostrich effect. And I think many cases, this technology is going to expose things that we really need to know about. Um, I don't disagree about the concern about ethics and where the data goes and in the policies that are around that and the trust that we have in this technology. I am on the camp that I don't understand it. So it's so I don't trust where this information goes. However, I want to link this to two things that are very common in the fire service. Number one, the employer has a responsibility to protect their employees with the best information and knowledge. And, and, and I would argue technology that is available to them. Uh, we're doing it left, right, and sideways right now. We were navig Jeff and I were navigating the coronavirus and how to protect employees with best information and technology we had in the moment. So I think the, the, the fact that there are risk factors of somebody going, having a cardiac event, and I'm a little sensitive to it right now because in the last few weeks, I mean, I've learned of three people just in the last few weeks alone who are young and, and, and healthy folks who have gone into sudden cardiac arrest in a fire station. Um, I know that, you know, it, just in the grand scheme of, of the universe, I don't know where where we are as a fire service. We know it's the highest cost. These folks all survived, by the way, with with uh, rapid interventions. And we're grateful for that. Uh, but it's really concerning about what it is that's going on uh, related to cardiac events in the fire service. So we know there's there's risk factors and we have technology that we have confidence in can predict somebody having a medical event. I, I, I don't know that I can sign on that that isn't something the employer should be uh, producing. I think it's going to be resisted. Uh, left and right. And we see that already. We, we have departments where there are uh, uh, labor groups or even just opposed to advanced physicals because they don't want to know, I think, because they don't want to know information for what Jeff said, where well, the point I do agree with them on is it threatens them, their ability to work because if they don't, if they cannot perform the duties of a firefighter, which the article outlines really well, or some of the more strenuous duties of a firefighter active on the fire ground, they got to come out of the game. And nobody wants to come out of the game. And so they would, the firefighters, I think by their nature, would rather ignore these risk factors uh, than, than have them called out, have to go on the sidelines, have to address them. Second point I wanted to make was I haven't met a firefighter who isn't trained or isn't in the thought process that uh, their, their safety is number one. What's number one priority when you go to work? So it's my safety, my safety, safety of my crew. That's typically the order that goes on. 
yet our behaviors don't mirror what our words are. We say it's our safety and then we take we take risks that uh, threaten our safety. We don't need to we don't need to take. And so I think if we're really interested in what our safety is, this is technology I wish I could have had. Um, I don't think I had any, any cardiac events while I was an active firefighter. Uh, but if this, if this technology would have been available, I would have worn it because if there was a predictor that I was going to have a, a cardiac event active in the fire station or active on the fire fight, uh, I'd want that to be noticed ahead of time. Uh, this, the, the idea behind tracking your know, heart rates and, and respiratory rates and blood pressure is not really all that new. In fact, there's the the entire orange theory fitness craze is built around this idea of understanding your heart rate. And in fact, we, we integrated that technology uh, in Southern Nevada with our recruit academies to teach firefighters to understand their heart rate and under, and to be able to control their breathing and try to lower their heart rate. It, it wasn't as advanced as this. I don't think where it was going to predict whether you're about to have some kind of a cardiac event. Uh, but I think that should be next. And uh, I support the, the idea of this technology's going to keep firefighters safer. Okay, great. Well, we do have a listener question that we would like to cover. And that is, do firefighters still use a fire pole in the station? Why or why not? Bob, I'll jump on this one. Love, love the fire pole. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I know there's very few that are working across the country, but there are uh, a couple here in Southern Nevada. And I do think that fire departments are going away from it. I, I get it. Um, there are accidents that can happen. You know, when I when I was at uh, my first fire department, in North Las Vegas, there was maybe a couple injuries in, in 10 years. I did get kicked squarely in the face at a high rate of speed in the nose. I was very upset, very upset at two o'clock in the morning. I was fired up. Boy, I was fired up. But I loved I loved the poll. I think that they are cool tradition in the fire service and are they dangerous? Yeah. But I think it's a, I mean, for me, cause I was also a fire chief uh, at that same department. I, I really, I, there was not enough data in my opinion, although anecdotal and I, you know, for complete transparency did not track. I just know that there was no injuries. There were no injuries reported when I was fired. It was actually after I left, uh, I heard of someone, um, twisting their ankle or maybe even breaking their ankle. So uh, I thought it was a great way to uh, expedite your your speed to the call, but I can certainly recognize why across the country they're moving away from it. And even though it was anecdotal and I didn't see the evidence in North Las Vegas, perhaps it's out there to to take to take departments away from a safer mode of travel. It, it, it makes all the sense in the world, but I loved it. I, I actually thoroughly, I, I thoroughly enjoyed um, my time at that fire station and being on the pole, that was a blast. I don't, you know, the prevalence of fire poles, I don't know the answer to that. Out West, it's less common, I think, to build, to construct fire stations anymore with them for the reasons Jeff uh, had already said. In areas that you can't build fire stations out horizontally, you have to build them out vertically. And there's an argument to be made that you could move the crew faster down a pole than, than downstairs, or in some cases, I've even seen a slide. Here's what I can tell you. One, I was not good at sliding down the pole, although I although I thought like it was a rite of passage of being a firefighter. But I had two I had two speeds. And there are people that are are masterful at the pole slide. Like they got a cup of coffee, a newspaper, and they're moving down with such smoothness. It's just really impressive. Uh, I was not that guy. I had two two speeds. It was either I was gonna, you know, re, re, 
reet, like inch my way down, down the pole, or I was sliding down at, at laser fast speed, thus risking injury. So I didn't use the pole very often when I was working in downtown Las Vegas, I chose to take the stairs. I don't think I was much slower than those that were uh, optimal pole sliding speed. Uh, but it's it, it is definitely something that's sort of known in tradition as it relates to the being a firefighter and, and kudos to those who had advanced skill. I just wasn't one of them. Thank you for that perspective. Both of you. That's a great question. I'm glad we received it and very funny to hear about the different speeds. I'd never thought about that. Um, well, thank you both for the discussion. And Kate, thank you so much for joining us today and for your very informed perspective. If people want to learn more about you or your projects, where can they go? That's an excellent question. Thank you so much for having me. First of all, I really appreciate it. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. That's probably one of the easiest ways to get in touch with me. My email is listed there. Um, but I'm also, you know, you can reach me by email. I have uh, some of my research published online, so you can access that through either Google Scholar or ResearchGate. Um, and those articles are freely available there. And then, you know, last resort, if there's something that you want to reach out and talk to about, I'm more than happy to communicate through email or, you know, I'm an old school phone person. I like talking to people on the phone. I know a lot of people don't like doing that anymore, but that that I'm a phone person for sure. <laughs> well, that's great to know. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you have a question for the panel, please reach out to us at fireheadlines at WFCA.com and let us know what's on your mind. We'll see you back here next week for more Fire Headlines. Thank you.